Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. So today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Courtney Claghorn. From a young age, Courtney always felt her best with a tan. Ironically, she was the only Italian family member who didn't tan easily. While she used to find this frustrating, she later realized it was a blessing not to have spent her younger years baking in the sun. For her, a faux glow was the way to go. Before opening the OG Santa Monica Salon, Courtney attended the University of Colorado at Boulder, where she met now husband and co-founder Sam Offit. Shortly after graduation, they landed in Santa Monica. When Courtney found herself overpaying for spray tans at underwhelming locations, Sam encouraged her to find a better solution, and Sugared and Bronze was born. Word spread quickly. The growing client base encouraged Courtney to spread her wings from her short-lived corporate life and refocus her energy toward growing her business full-time. She soon became a fourth-generation female entrepreneur, so perhaps her Italian half gave her good genes after all. So why sugary and bronzing? Concocting the perfect recipe for her business, Courtney, a longtime skincare fanatic, decided to add a little sugar to her sunless tanning idea. While sugaring has ancient Egyptian roots, it felt relevant to the modern world as a natural, eco-friendly way to remove hair. While developing her business, Courtney quickly realized that sugaring was not only the new waxing, but also the perfect complement to a spray tan. Both services were often relegated to the bottom of long spa menus when in actuality, both techniques deserve finesse and attention for clients to receive consistent and optimal results. Courtney's vision brought the two popular services side by side. Sugared and Bronze quickly became a uniquely synergetic space for those seeking a little extra pep in their step. No matter the occasion, Sugared and Bronze promises that you'll leave with immaculately smooth skin and a natural faux glow. We believe that flawless is a feeling and we're just a vehicle to help you get there. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Courtney Claghorn. Hi, Courtney. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So fun reading your bio and hearing all about the origin stories, which I know we'll dive into more. Yeah. I love it. So we like to start every show with a bit of a fun question. Our last guest hit us with like nuclear war. We've had some guests keep it light and talk about cooking. So it really varies. But what is something new that you learned in this past week? And it can be fun. It can be light. It could also be serious, whatever you prefer. I think I learned that even when you're working with friends or family even, because this actually came up in two different like aspects of my life, oddly. But I think the takeaway is even when you're working with friends or family that you really iron out all the details because I mean, there can still be misunderstandings and it's really important to have those things be clear up front. So there isn't this sort of he said, she said moment. And especially, I think it's almost more important with friends and family than it is with a stranger. That's such a good one. Yeah, I've seen that too. Like, do you have a hard and fast rule about 
how much time you can give. Like, let's say a family member has a business themselves and they're like, hey, you're a big entrepreneur. Can you help us with our thing? Or, oh, could you invest in this? Like, do you have processes or rules that you kind of hold yourself to if that maybe happens frequently? Yeah. I mean, it's tough because you want to help people or invest or whatnot, or at least we do. And by we, by co-founder and I guess now husband, which is still weird because we've been together for like 14 years. So I'm not used to that term yet, but we're business partners and we have a lot of, you know, friends and family that want to start businesses or whatnot. And yeah, I mean, I think the rule is like, are they getting this going on their own or are they totally relying on money and advice? Because people who are self-starters are just self-starters. So that's not going to stop them. So I think that's important. And, you know, you can't, again, I say iron out every detail. If you're investing, there's no way to you know, see into the future and see every detail. So I think, you know, just making sure you really like trust somebody and that they have your back because then when you do hit bumps in the road, like you will, you know, work them out. It's kind of like any relationship. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. I was going to ask you too, like, you know, you have personal experience with that because your co-founder is also your husband. So not only is it like you dealing with those boundaries with people who maybe come to you for money or advice, but it's also like, oh, I'm in a relationship and also, you know, a working relationship. It's interesting to balance, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, some days are interesting. Some days are challenging. Some days are great. You know, it's it's every emotion in the book. I love it. That's so fun. And it's nice that you guys have been on the journey together. I was going to say, you said you've been together 14 years. I was going to say, was there a moment where you started off as friends and then you got together during the journey? But it sounds like you guys have built this always together from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, we were like not really friends. I mean, we almost started dating right away. I mean, we knew each other for like a bit, but we did go to school together for a year. And then I think we were out of college, probably close to another year after that. So we were together a couple of years before the business started. Well, thank you for sharing. So before we dive into your 20s, we do like to start with like a little bit of context about your childhood. I know you hinted in your bio, you're a fourth generation entrepreneur, which is very exciting. So my question to you is like, what did you want to be when you grew up? And also, did you kind of know that was your destiny because of your family? No, no, not at all. Like, and when I say fourth generation entrepreneur, that's not like a sexy way. It's not like there's just like years of trust funds and and whatnot. I mean, my grandmother, my mom's mom moved here from Italy when she was like 10, didn't know English. Like her mom had a dress shop. Then my grandmother started a tailoring business when she got divorced and was a single mom with four kids. And then my mom started a business with my stepdad. And now of course I have a business. So it wasn't until like years into the business where Sam and I were talking and I think he realized he was like, oh, I'm like a third generation entrepreneur. Like his dad was like a law firm. His grandfather had an accounting firm. Again, like not that sexy. And then I was like, oh my God, I think I'm a fourth generation. And it was all through the maternal side, which was so funny. But no, that wasn't like, I never really thought about starting my own business. I think I thought about not because I saw how challenging it was. And it was really Sam who probably, you know, pushed me to do it. But no, I thought maybe I'd go into film and television. You know, I, I had no really, no set plan. Gotcha. And what about the film and television world was exciting to you? I know there was a a point in time, I believe you wanted to go into acting, right? So like, what was that life like? Was that something that you seriously pursued at any point? You know, I think that I probably just was like attention hungry as a child. And I was always like performing and things like that. So that seemed like, oh, if I could get paid for that, how fun. And then there was a minute when the business started where we were honestly just waiting for it to sort of grow. Like we didn't want to raise money. We weren't ready. We were very young. We had so much to learn. And there was only so much we could do without funding to make it grow faster. And of course we were doing all those things, but you cut, we kind of had to let it like snowball. And so I took that time to sort of take improv classes and 
go on auditions. And it was so crazy the way like life works out because really, as I started to book some stuff, the business really started to just demand my attention full time. And I was actually really torn for a minute. And Sam was like, you know, you can do whatever you want to your life. Like, you know, if I want to go back and work in entertainment at some point, that's always going to be there. But if I walk away from this business right now, like it's probably not going to be here. So I just made the decision to dive in and I miss taking improv and stuff sometimes, but there's plenty of creative outlets in entrepreneurship. Absolutely. And there's also a world where you can go back to it at some point too, like you said, you know, it's it's not like a closed door at all. I feel like improv really helps with founders and like building a business. I have a friend, she teaches an improv class to founders and she feels like it's so funny. She teaches it at USC and she's like, I just feel like it helps so much with like pitching and confidence and going with the flow. Like people will throw stuff at you when you've got to say yes and do the next part of the scene. So I imagine there's a bit of synergy there too, actually, between the two. I think, honestly, that's so funny. I never even thought about an improv class for founders. and Maybe I need to take it now. But I always say it's kind of like, I don't know, a sorority rush or something. Like It's kind of something I feel like everyone should do because not just founders seem to think on their feet, like most people in a lot of situations. And it's just, you feel like your brain muscles sort of exercising. I think that it probably would keep people mentally sharp for well into their, you know, elderly years if they did it once a week, honestly. So I do hope to dive back in. Maybe that'll be the reason, the founder class. I love it. Or maybe you teach a class. I feel like you'd be a good teacher. Maybe you could do it now. We'll see. I don't think so. I'm a terrible teacher, like with anything. Terrible. Really? What makes you say that? I have like no patience. I just want to like do it. So the only way I can teach people is if they learn by just watching me. So that's not really for most people. Totally fair. To each their own. I hear you though on the patience thing. It's like strength and weakness can be good, can also not be not so good. Okay, awesome. So you were thinking maybe film and TV, but you weren't really sure. It sounds like it was kind of like, I don't know. I maybe don't want to do business because of my mom and stepdad and maybe film and TV. And then you go to college. Can you tell me a little bit more about like, why you picked the college you did, and then also your major and how you liked it. Yeah. I mean, I went to Boulder my freshman year and my mom had gone there actually in the seventies, which sounded like even more of a party. I grew up with divorced parents. My dad was living in Telluride. His parents had gone away to school in Colorado. So it was like, I don't know. I had it in my blood on both sides, like spend time in Colorado, but no one's like from there. I love to ski. And I just wanted a school where it like, everything was like, you see in the movies, like there's Greek life, there's football teams. I, you know, I just wanted that. So it seemed like a good answer. And then there was a moment where I kind of, I just felt like guilty that, I don't know, I was like, took all these AP classes and I got SAT scores or whatever. And I wasn't going to this caliber of school that some of my friends were going to. And I actually transferred to USC my sophomore year. And then I transferred back to Boulder. Whoa, I did not find that in my research. This is some interesting intel. Okay, so tell me more about that. I mean, it was a great year. I lived with a great friend of mine from high school. And I, you know, I knew a bunch of people there having gone to, you know, high school in Orange County. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, maybe I'm going to be back in Southern California. So I really need to go do my Colorado time. And, and I really enjoyed all the friends I had met in the dorms and stuff like that. So I'm glad I went back. I ended up meeting Sam. And I think my major, God, I think it was like something in film. Maybe it was a film major freshman year at Boulder. And then I think I was business at USC with like a film minor. And then I think by the time I went back to Boulder, I was like just business. So it was kind of a blend though of like business and film, but you ultimately ended up with business. And then was USC the choice for a year because it was like 
close to home and also you felt like maybe more of like the caliber school you were talking about, you felt like pressured to go there. Why USC as opposed to any other school? I mean, actually close to home was probably a negative selling point because I wanted to go away to school. But yeah, I think because it was in LA, it was, you know, it was in the film and television, like, you know, it was, it was credible for both business and film and television. I was kind of like, you know, thinking about the two. So that's probably why. Did you know that I went to USC? You did? <laughs> I did. I'm a, I was a business major at USC. So as you're saying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, you were a one-time Trojan. I know. I know. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. So then you go back to Boulder and you finish up your business education. You meet Sam. And are you liking business at this point? Like, are you feeling like it's kind of unlocking something in you or how are you liking that right at that point? You know, I honestly, I wasn't taking school that seriously. I was like partying, I, you know, I had a, you know, business law class or, you know, whatever business class here or there that I really enjoyed, but I was, I was there to ski and have a good time. Honestly, I think I worked really hard K through 12. And then I was like, I'm not going to grad school. Like I was still like, I didn't know what I was going to do after school. And then it, upon graduation in 2009, I was like, oh shit. Like that was like the worst time to graduate. I was like, so regretting not, you know, being a better student, having a job lined up at the end. And I was like, here it is. I finally like relaxed for the first time in my life. And then it really came to bite me in the ass and I'm going to be screwed. So it was a pretty scary time. Oh, and Sam and I broke up. So I moved home for a couple months, cried like every day. I think my brother was like 11 or 12 at the time. And he was like, Courtney, can you leave again? Like we had a nice life here. And like, this is kind of weird that you're back. And like, you're really like just negative. And he was probably traumatized by the couple of months that I was home. <laughs> but unfortunately, I found a job at a fintech company. So I was lucky, you know, I think to find a job in 2009 that had a decent salary. And I moved to Santa Monica because that's where the job was. And I was going to go anywhere anyone would pay me to do anything. So I think that's so real. Like not everyone in college wants to keep working that hard. I mean, it's not easy to like be continuously thinking about career and classes and burnout's a real thing. And like being in a new city with new people and no parents, it's like a real thing. So appreciate your honesty there too. And that sounds rough. I'm so glad you made it out. Okay. <laughs> it was a couple months. I mean, I just don't say it was like my, it was like the hangover of like four years of a good time. And it was like a three month like hangover. Yeah. You were like paying your dues. It was like, you've had too much of a good time. Now the world has to like recalibrate. Okay. So not great, not happy, but luckily you get this job at a fintech company. Was it something you were excited about or really was just like they said yes? And so you were like, I'll do whatever. And how did you like the job? I did not like the job, but I was probably excited to get a paycheck and to move out of my parents' house. Not that I don't love my parents, but just after having not lived at home for four years, I was like, what is this? You know? So yeah, I mean, I was happy to get an apartment and to, you know, just make money and that kind of thing. But no, I didn't. I woke up every day like not wanting to. I felt like I was going to class or something in high school. I was like, oh, this again, you know? What were you doing there? I think you were marketing, right? At this fintech company. What, what were you really, what was like the day-to-day? -day? I mean, I don't know if they knew. I think we're growing really quickly in the recession and made a lot of hires. And I don't think they really knew what they wanted us to be doing. So thankfully, it was like kind of a fun group of I don't know, 10 of us that sort of got hired in the Santa Monica office and everyone else was pretty much in San Francisco. And so, you know, we kind of just did whatever they told us to do that day. But a lot of times we'd just try to hang out with each other, or go for a walk. I mean, it wasn't strenuous, but again, we didn't have a lot of options in 2009. So I think at some point we all started sort of job hunting together at lunch and stuff like that. 
Totally. I mean, it's so hard. You can't predict when you're going to graduate. Like sometimes it's just not the best circumstances. But it's nice you had people your own age to socialize with. Do you feel like that was really important? I feel like in a lot of my like early career things, I haven't had like a cohort almost. And I think that can be a little bit lonely when you're like working hard or building something and there isn't like a group of five to 10 people like bounce ideas off of or go get lunch or things like that. How did you like that social piece? Well, I mean, at the beginning it was like, it was great because we were kind of all in this together and everyone had sort of graduated around the same time, went to UCSB, went to wherever. And we had common experiences sort of from the last like four years of our lives. But I think that they all sort of jumped ship as soon as they could. And at that point, I'd already sort of started Sugar and Bronzed, at the time, just Bronzed. And so I was like, I'm not going to leave to go to another job right now because this business is growing. And like, they don't know what I do here. Like, I just show up every day and get my work done if they need me to do something. So I was like, then the lone soldier. So it was really lonely. You know, I had some friends that moved to LA from high school or college that sort of like moved back, but they hadn't filtered back into the city yet. So it was like, kind of like Sam moved up here and we had like one or two good friends, but it was, it was probably like one of the few times in my life. And I think it was even like a couple years there where I didn't really have that group I always had like growing up. And I think that it's a, like you were saying, it's probably a pretty common experience for some people in their, in their twenties, if they don't go to their hometown with all the same people or they live like a lot of people from Boulder moved to Denver and then they had that whole group. So if you kind of step outside of that box, I think you kind of have to start over in a lot of ways. You're not meeting people like you would in class or in the sorority house or whatever. So all of a sudden I wasn't really meeting anyone new at work. And then I was starting a business where I didn't have any coworkers. So yeah, no, I felt the same way. Yeah. No, it's so interesting to hear that. It can be really, really, really challenging. And I think especially like you said, you were then going to go off and know you're going to continue being alone starting your business. Because it's like, it's not like you were going to go get a new job somewhere because you knew you wanted to start this thing. So it was almost like prolonging the loneliness. It was like, this is lonely. And also I'm now going to start something which will be lonely. It's hard. It can be really difficult. I think too, with COVID, a lot of people have been like locked up. And so we'll get to, you know, obviously COVID and Sugar and Bronze and what you guys have done then. But, you know, I think now especially there's really been this loneliness epidemic and hopefully it can get fixed soon, but it's not easy being in your 20s and living alone or working alone. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you're at this job and they're giving you a paycheck, but you have the idea for Bronzed. Can you tell me a little bit more about when that moment came how you thought of turning into a business idea versus just like having this pain point. And then also, Sam's back in the picture now. So yes. <laughs> also, how did that happen? Last I checked, we were home crying about the breakup. So how did that all come together too? Yeah, we got back together after doing some silly commuting and moved in together, probably because it was like cheap. It wasn't like well thought out. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to you know, get married and this, we should live together. But we got back together. And then I think we had some weddings to go to that summer. Like a friend got married young and then he had a couple family weddings or something. And I was like really pale because I was sitting in an office every day, even though I got to stare at the beach, I wasn't ever at the beach. And like I said, I don't really even tan that quickly anyway. So, but I was especially pale for summertime. Like it was the first summer that I didn't have any sort of summer, right? Like you're like, oh, okay, there's no summer break anymore. Got it. So I was complaining about how expensive spray tans were in Santa Monica compared to what I paid in Boulder. And and I always sort of joked that having a Jewish boyfriend, you know, it led to like, wait, let's stop complaining about this. Like, let's turn it into a business. And I 
shut him down pretty much right off the bat was like, you're crazy. Like, I don't even really, I'm not even good at makeup. How would I learn how to like spray tan? And he just kind of kept like being like, well, why not? What do we have to lose? Worst comes to worst, you own all the stuff, you know how to do it. And I think I just sort of was like, yeah, you're right. Like, what do we have to lose? And so that kind of got the wheels turning. That's so wild. And he just kind of kept pushing it. That's so funny. You made the Jewish comment too. I'm Jewish. So I get it. You know, we were like, let's fix this. What's the solution? That's so good that he just kept pushing you. And it sounds like, did he think like he could really help you and you guys would do it together? Was that always the plan? Or was he like, you should go do it. And then he was like, I can maybe help you. But was it like always a joint effort? Or did he really think that you should go do it? Well, I mean, I think Sam, he had started businesses in high school and whatever. Um, and so he was always going to start a business. And he's not one who's passionate about tanning or sugaring. I mean, he's like a guy's guy. He just doesn't care about making himself like look any beauty things. Let's put it that way. You know, he wasn't like, oh, we're going to be in this, like I'm going to be doing spray tanning because he also realized that like women wanted to be naked and they probably wouldn't feel very comfortable with a guy spraying them. So he was like, you know, I can build the website. I can do this. And, but he was very much like going to keep his job. And so, but he was like, as soon as it starts growing, like you can leave your job, you know? And we, I don't think really saw much beyond that. We're kind of the people where like the ceiling is the limit, but it was so new and so young to talk about like, oh, well, Sam's going to quit his job. You know, we were just like, let's see what happens. And then it, you know, it got to a point where I had to start really learning some of these things that he did for me myself because he was working full time and he would not want to come home and, you know, work on the website again. So it was a really good time for me to sort of, okay, now I've learned how to do all this stuff that he helped me start. But then it got to a point where I needed someone else full time. And so while I had a couple gals in like in our first Santa Monica store helping me on like an hourly basis, as we were building out more stores and stuff like that, it really made sense for him to then quit his job. And then we were really fully in it together at that point, even though it was his idea from the beginning, we each put in $500, no joke. And we were always partners, like 50, 50 partners from the beginning. I would say he just, yeah, it didn't make sense financially for him to come on board full time until a couple of years in. Yeah, that makes a bunch of sense. And it's good to have that stability. And then he can be like a thought partner on the weekends and like in the evenings and things like that, but not having him go fully in. What was that moment where you were maybe building it or researching it on the side at your day job? And then you said, I'm going to do this full time. Was it signing the lease for the Santa Monica office? Was it like interest from someone or a conversation? Like, what was that moment where you actually were like, oh, I'm going to actually do this and commit fully? I mean, it was just like the business would grow every week. And I think Sam like, and I sat down and looked at just like what was happening. And because day to day, it didn't seem like much. It was like, oh, another appointment. And then we kind of like, I think we started it in like November 1st, 2010, was it? And then by like the holidays, I think we realized this was crazy for New Year's Eve, how many people came in. And so I think the month of January, we sort of were like, oh, wow, this is like, if this keeps growing at this pace, this is really like, I can't just run home at lunch anymore or do this after work. Like I'm going to be just like turning down clients left and right. So I was still out of the apartment. I was still running back and forth between my job and my apartment in, to tan people. And then I think at the end of January, I left my job. And then by April, I think we had, or maybe it was Memorial Day, we actually moved into the first Santa Monica store. But we, we started looking for like a commercial lease as soon as I left the fintech company. That's unbelievable. And how did you get access to that tanning stuff in the beginning? Like, 
how did you pick which tanning solution you wanted? Or was it really just like anything? You just wanted to be tanning people and and seeing if there was like a demand for what you were thinking. Like I said, I had gotten spray tans in Boulder and there was like some I didn't like, some I did. So we just called the place of my favorite place and we're like, what do you use? And like, it was like a place with tanning beds. They didn't care. You know, they were just like, oh, here, like here's the website. So we just started with that. And I was like, I know it's good. I know I like it. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously we have our own solution now and whatnot, but it's evolved, but it was, it was kind of an easy place to start. I think that's like so brilliant is this idea that like, you do not need to start with formulating your own thing day one. Like if you're testing a concept or an idea, just grab the closest thing, make a prototype. Like it's more the service you're testing, not the product. And then yes, you grow into products and lines and all these things. But I think that that's so important. Like you don't need all this capital to go create something super, super new if you're doing a service like that, you know? So I think that's, that's so interesting. And you just call them up. Like, that's the other thing. I'm like, you just cold called them. You're like, Hey, what do you use? Just directly ask. And people will want to help you and tell you. Yeah. Because it's like going to a nail salon. I mean, they have a bunch of different nail polishes. Like they're not selling the polish. They're selling the service. It's like, I think a lot of times people get caught in this analysis paralysis of starting a business of everything has to be like perfect. And it's almost like sometimes the smarter you are, sometimes the more trouble you get into with that, which is fascinating. But yeah, no, I mean, I think we were just so young and naive that we were like, oh, well, we don't have any other options. Like we didn't have the money or the, you know, to formulate, like that wasn't even a thought. So I'm glad it wasn't an option. Yeah. It can be your biggest blessing, you know, when you like are so strapped, you have to be naive and just do what seems obvious. And then (laughs) You know, if you maybe had more experience, whatever, you would think, oh, and we need a huge branding agency and we need this and we need that. And you maybe would have, you know, kind of bitten off more than you could chew. So you guys are starting to expand. And I'm curious, what areas of the business were you liking the most? Because I think obviously as like an entrepreneur, everyone knows that like, you kind of got to start and do a little bit of everything. Hopefully with time, as you've scaled and grown the team, you get to do the things you like to do and you're good at. But what were those like early jobs, whether it was like the marketing side or like the client facing, like doing the spraying or... Maybe it was like building the website or it was like understanding product and supply chain. Like what were the things that you felt like you were really liking and enjoying? You know, early on, I don't know if I thought about that too much because I was really doing a little bit of everything and everything was so new and kind of exciting. And it didn't really register to me that I kind of had to pick, you know, my lane until Sam left his job full time because then it was like, we started to see crossover. Like, you know, he would do something. And I was like, I, I, I was already going to do that. And he was like, we have to divide and conquer. And so that's when I think we kind of really thought about it for the first time. And I also think when you're so new, like nothing's like that complicated. Like I was doing the bookkeeping and it, I didn't hate it, but now, I mean, I would not like that at all. It was just like, Oh, I taught, I learned something new on QuickBooks today. So I think it took some time for the business to grow. And then I do enjoy marketing still. And actually Sam does as well. So we have had some overlap there. I think, especially when it came to, you know, digital ads, I handled them and he did kind of back and forth. Now Allison helps out with them. And, but Sam and I still both dabble in them, but then we really like did separate a lot of other things. Like he really does focus on real estate and finances. I'm more in, I've created all the operations. I oversaw the build outs, the construction, and, you know, would work with the interior designers, architects, that sort of thing. And a lot of other stuff, but we kind of started there. It's so interesting to hear how it gets split, you know, and like to hear what people gravitate towards, but it's a great point. Like bookkeeping in the early days, marketing in the early days, it's very simple. It's like, you even just say like one landing page or you have like, 
10 people coming in on one day at, you know, 50 bucks an hour, whatever it is. It's very simple. Now a little bit less so. You need someone more specialized. So you guys open this location, let's say like early 2011-ish, Memorial Day-ish. What starts to happen? Like how are you growing and how are you maybe introducing sugared into this whole bronzed branding? And can you talk me through like this like next phase of growing the business? Yeah. I mean, that was a really exciting time, mostly to not be in my apartment anymore. And it really felt, it started to feel like real, like, oh, wow, we have this lease. We have like an actual like brick and mortar like store. And it really kept growing. I mean, quite organically. Yes, we had digital advertising, but it was a lot of word of mouth. and, And I was able to hire people for the first time because you know, I couldn't really hire someone to be in my apartment and then be like, oh, I'm going to go take a nap. Like that wouldn't have worked out. So this way, you know, we could really be open, you know, 10 hours a day or, or whatnot. I was still there most of the time, but it was just nice. We had two tanning rooms. We could have two people going at the same time and we really could just started to see it grow. Sugaring didn't come in until later on. We did rent like the back half of this first store to a sugaring business. And I, so I was able to see the synergy from the beginning. So when we're doing like, I think the Newport Beach location, we were looking for someone to rent the room to do sugaring and we found someone and then she bailed and we were like, oh, and the gal up in LA and Santa Monica didn't want to do a Newport location. And we were like, oh no, like we're not going to have this synergy. And then we were like, well, what if we just do it ourselves? And so that started to take off down in Orange County. And then it was like sort of as we grew and then moved out of our original store, I think actually even the sugaring girl moved out before we did. And then as that happened, we were like, we always need this at all of our locations. So it was, it was a process of getting it into the locations that it you know, wasn't because we were like always trying to play catch up. But I think it was really great for the business to be able to continue growing that way because they just really go hand in hand. It sounds like it was so serendipitous too that like you guys got to see the synergy without making the investment. Like it was literally someone else paying you and then you were able to say, oh wow, we actually want to do this now. It's like a pretty foolproof way of launching things. You just get someone else to do it, see if it works on their dime and then kind of take it over. Yeah, we weren't thinking about it that way even. It was like, so just like, we need someone to take the back half of the space, you know? It was like, and it wasn't until we were just put in a position in Newport Beach. We're like, okay, let's give it a try. I absolutely love it. And I think that's how like some of the coolest things come together because you're like, it really feels like destiny because you see it's like thrown in front of you and you might not have put that combination together if it hadn't been that situation because they're obviously both beauty, but they're a little different. Can you tell me a little bit more about the process of sugaring? I know we, I touched on a little bit in your bio, but I'd love to hear what you guys do differently and what is the perks of sugaring? I mean, so many perks. I mean, it's really just a lot less abrasive to the skin and it prevents ingrowns instead of causing them because it removes hair from the natural direction of the growth instead of against it, like shaving or waxing. And it's just really natural. It's just sugar, lemon, and water. So even though it's it's more difficult to learn how to do and to perfect the technique, it's definitely advantageous for the, the client. And then as you go regularly, it gets even better. So like waxing is kind of just the same every time. Whereas sugaring, like if you go once a month, you really start to notice it becomes like less painful. Your hair growth is refined and you know you really just never have to deal with ingrowns. Whereas waxing is just kind of every single time it's the same thing and you're probably causing ingrowns and trying to fight them every single month. Totally. That's so cool. I've actually never gotten sugaring done, but I've been very convinced. I did lots of research before we chatted and it sounds very enticing. Very cool. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about like where you guys are at now as a business. I know you've got lots of exciting locations opening and I needed some rebranding. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about like where is Sugar and Bronze today? Obviously, you guys have scaled like crazy. I'm sure all our listeners have seen your locations everywhere, but I'd love to hear about like the state of things today. 
it was crazy because we had bootstrapped really for, I think like nine years and then raised money in November of 2019. And obviously that was pretty much right before COVID. So really it felt like we were just thrown back into bootstrapping mode of like conserving cash. And I mean, being closed was something that we obviously hadn't dealt with before. So that was really tough and it slowed down our growth plan. But now that we're hopefully on the other side of things, you know, we have started to open stores again and expand our product line and whatnot. So we've opened, I think, was it three or four stores during COVID? And now we're really like signing leases again and whatnot. So we have Austin coming up. We have a full Dallas store coming up because we only have a pop-up there right now. We just opened Westlake Village. We have Irvine coming up, another Philly location, and quite a few more in the works, in the pipeline. And then we just released a new product and also redesigned our packaging, which was really exciting. And we have some more products to come this summer. So we're really excited about being able to grow again. And it was just such a tough couple of years that it's just even now when things are so crazy and we're all exhausted and putting in a lot of hours, I think it puts it in perspective for us because we're like, well, at least we're open. (laughs) So it's good. It's like good problems to have. I think that's how a lot of people have felt. And I can only imagine how hard it was. You guys, not only were you guys in-person location, but you also are beauty, which is for weddings and proms and trips. Like people want to look bronzed when they go to Mexico for their vacation and none of that stuff was happening. So it was sort of like a double whammy for sure. What were some of the things that you guys did during COVID to like kind of keep going? Was it new products? Was it just because you had maybe just raised, you guys were okay? Like what were some of the things that you did during COVID to kind of bear through it? And then, you know, know eventually you guys would make it on the other side. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a blessing to have private equity partners and and ones that were so understanding. Obviously, you know, it wasn't through any fault of our own that revenue went to zero overnight, but it was still really scary because you know, we had always been profitable. That was the only option we ever had. So while we were thankful that we had these partners, we also didn't want to just run through all the growth capital because obviously that's not what we raised money to do. So that was tough, but we did launch e-commerce really quickly. Like we were going to wait till we had the new beautiful packaging done. And instead it was like, oh my God, like my brother was like a senior in college at this point. He didn't want to live with the parents. So he moved in with Sam and I. We had like all these laptops on the dining room table. Like I think we had six monitors at one point because he was doing our software development at the time. So we got e-commerce like up and running overnight, whatever products like we had at the time. And we were just like, that's what we can do for now. And then we wanted to continue like the new packaging and the new products. But then it was like supply chain issues started to like happen. And we were like, not really in a position to invest a lot in product at the time with our stores being closed. So we were like, kind of torn. We're like, all right, let's keep doing what we can, but also not burn through any more cash. And then, you know, we were allowed to open, I think, you know, for a minute in California, and then we were allowed to open on the East Coast. So that was great. Then they closed us back down in California, but they let us be outside. So that was an interesting challenge considering most people are getting Brazilians when they get sugared or they're naked. So we had to like build these cabanas and it was August. So really like sugaring and over like 72 degree weather is just not great. So we couldn't do it in like Studio City or Beverly Hills. So we did it in the beach cities. Like we did it in like Hermosa Beach and Santa Monica. That was fun. We did mobile for tanning so that people could do it like in their backyard, on their patio, whatnot. We did just whatever we could and people wanted it. So that was good. If we were available to service people, they were ready. Tanning demand was obviously hit for all the reasons that you just mentioned, but there were still people who wanted tans. It was a little bit more difficult to figure out how to give them. 
Absolutely. I mean, if people are taking like selfies at home, they still want to look good. You know what I mean? So there's still a reason for tanning for sure. How has it worked like since obviously COVID's let up a little bit? Do you look back on it now? And like, are you keeping some of these like creative ideas? Like, are there some things that you're like, wow, actually like the cabanas were like really fun. So now we can do indoor and outdoor or mobile tanning was like really successful. So I'm seeing a lot of businesses that were sort of like forced to pivot. And now they're like, we'd actually like, that's a great revenue generator. We're going to keep that arm of the business. So has that been the case for any of the creative ideas you guys had? Well, it's funny because mobile was always something we talked about. And while right now we're not offering it because we really ran into a a large staffing challenge after we were able to be reopened, it is still something that is in the back of our heads. Like we'd like to relaunch and we got to see the demand for it even at the worst of times. So that I think, you know, it's only kind of ignited, reignited that sort of, you know, idea in the back of our heads that we would like to do that at some point. And then I think with the cabanas, we were like, okay, if we ever do a pop-up at Coachella or like Aspen or whatever, like we want to be inside because the amount of problems, like the sun, the heat, the whatever, like we've talked about doing tiny homes and we still like love the idea of doing a pop-up and we learned a lot about how we would make that happen. We've just learned that we, we just need some temperature control, I think. <laughs> some privacy. Oh Yeah privacy important, temperature control important. It's good. You also did it on a smaller scale. So like if you were to say yes to Coachella, for example, a huge opportunity might not have worked out if you hadn't had this experience. So, you know, it's not the worst thing ever. It's like teaching you what you want to keep doubling down on and, and maybe what you want to be wary of in the future. Yeah. And, and with like e-commerce, you know, I think that we would have really like tinkered and made sure everything was just perfect before we launched. Like the same problem I was talking about earlier that people have when they're starting a business and it forces us just to rip the band-aid and then figure out what our fulfillment situation was going to be, what website we were going to use, you know, for the back end. And so, you know, we switched over from WordPress to Shopify and like, we're not going back. Like, so, you know, there have been things that have evolved. And now when we, you know, had the new product, we just need to, for the new packaging, just change out our photos because everything was all set up. So there definitely have been like blessings and some of the things that we, we did during the shutdown. Yeah, totally. Also, shout out Shopify. Shopify is great. Okay, well, I do have kind of a random question. I feel like you are the expert. Just about beauty tips for like 20-somethings. I know you kind of hinted at it too. You're grateful you weren't always in the sun, which we all know, skin cancer, wear sunscreen, all the things. But are there any like big beauty tips, whether it's like staying hydrated or staying out of the sun or like whatever that you feel like you've seen are absolutely essential. Like it could be one, it could be three non-negotiables and they could be from your clients or, you know, whatever it may be that you feel like everyone should really, especially in their twenties, keep in mind. I think the 20, like twenties too, like you can kind of get by on, you know, you're out in the sun a lot. You don't see a lot of wrinkles or skin cancer. You don't sleep a lot. It doesn't really affect, you know, you can kind of like do whatever. But I think that if you do start creating those habits in your twenties, when you think it doesn't matter, like it really, like they really pay off when it does. So, and I, I don't think I learned them necessarily even early enough because I think I really had to realize I was looking like shit because I wasn't sleeping enough, you know, because I was working too much. Like I kind of, and like, I needed to go grocery shopping and buy the right foods, like all these things, because I was just working all the time. So I think that that was not smart. So in in retrospect, I think I've learned that sleep is really important for beauty and equally important as hydration. I will like go get an IV now at any place down the block, just if I feel like I'm dehydrated, because it not only affects your beauty, but your energy. And it's just such a game changer. Those two things I think are more important than anything you could, any makeup or haircut, honestly. And then beyond that, I'm still a big fan of a spray tan. Like 
I just feel like I look more vibrant. But yeah, and probably eating well too. Vitamins, vitamins. But not, not, I don't like the vitamin supplements. I like just like an IV or like a good diet. I love it. Yeah, like the real nutrients. That's really good though. It's, it's nice you're like promoting the basics. I think it's like really getting the habits right and like really being like connected to yourself and then everything else, you know, you'll glow. It'll all, it'll all be good. And sleeping and hydrating, you know, especially like when you're working so hard, you can easily forget those two things. So I think that's a great point. It's amazing how fast you can be like chronic sleep deprivation or chronic, you know, you can chronically be dehydrated. And it's, it's wild because it's like, if you get out of it, you have a great night of sleep or you, you know, you know, really drink a lot of water. It's like, oh, I feel like a different person, but you can like run in this robot sort of like mode of being half yourself for so long. And then I, I think it really was until I like looked in the mirror and I was like, God, I look like hell too. Like at some point it like does catch up to you. So yeah, I think you also have to do it pretty consistently to like feel much better. Like give yourself like three days of good sleep and you will feel like a brand new person or like three days of really hydrating and you'll just see the difference. Cause I feel like sometimes people are like, ah, I don't know, one night or like one glass of water. And it's like, you got to just be consistent with it. You know, like you said, build those habits. Awesome. Okay. Well, I could talk to you for so long. It's so fun to hear about your journey. I do have one final question for you. And we ask all of our guests this. So separate from beauty, is there one piece of advice that you would give to all 20-somethings? I don't know if it's cliche, but I would say that you don't have to have it all figured out. I think that a lot of people hit 27, 28, you know, they feel like they need to be with their life partner. They need to be making a certain salary. They need to be at the job or, you know, and I think that as long as you're like working hard and you're enjoying what you do and, and you're open to advice, I think so many people are trying to give 20 some year olds advice. They just like, are like, Oh, I like, I know better. I think that you'll find yourself in a place in your thirties that you are really happy about. But I think there's so much pressure in your twenties to feel like, Oh, I'm out of college. I'm making a salary. I need to be a real adult. And I don't think that being a real adult really, I don't think that you feel like that until you're at least in your 30s, or at least I didn't. (laughs) And maybe in your 30s, you still are like, "Ah, I don't know, just taking it day by day, you know? Totally. And that's fine too. I mean, I feel like 40 is like the new 30 now anyway. So we live a long time now. So you have plenty, everyone has plenty of time in their 20s. I know that's actually something that I've been thinking about a lot too, is like we genuinely, 40 is the actual new 30. Because like, Right now, average life expectancy, let's say, is 80 years old. But hopefully a lot of like Gen Z millennials, like they will hopefully average life expectancy will be more like 90 or maybe like 95. So it actually, it's not that wrong. Like when you say that, I'm like, it actually might be. We might all get an extra 10 years. <laughs> like we'll see how it plays out. Like I, we, Sam and I froze embryos. A lot of people are freezing. Egg. I mean, that science is like, it was still experimental until like 2009. And now it's like, I was literally just texting a girlfriend who's like, yeah, doing my trigger shot tonight. Like, it's become so common and I think it will only become more affordable and more common too. So I think women will feel like they have more time. Like, cause I feel like men is, have kind of felt like that for a little bit, but we're going to catch up to them. Awesome. Well, can you please let everyone know where they can learn more about Sugared and Bronzed, specifically locations? I know people want to know. And then also where they can like follow along your journey and, you know, see about all the new openings and just like see more about your life with Sam, all the things we've chatted about today. Can you give everyone the social media and websites? Yeah, of course. Sugared and Bronze is sugared and bronze with the A-N-D spelled out on Instagram. I'm on Instagram as Courtney Claghorn. You probably won't see a lot of Sam. Don't worry. That doesn't mean we broke up. It's just uh, he's 
doesn't like to be on social media very much, but I still stick him on there sometimes. So when you do see him, know that we're probably fighting about it after. And of course, our website, sugarandbronze.com. You can sign up for like text alerts if you want to hear about the new openings. Right now, we're, you know, we're only in California, Texas, Pennsylvania, and New York. But we have so many more cities to come and really fun product stuff coming out. So right now, you can only order our products on our website or, of course, buy them in one of our stores. But you'll see us soon on Amazon and um, hopefully some more outlets in the next couple of years. Wow. Very exciting. I love it. Thank you for the insight. I think we all have to try it. I think that's like going to be the goal of the podcast. We got to just everyone go at least once, see how it is. Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for chatting. This has been so fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.